Well, hey, folks, and welcome back to the 747 Conversations podcast. It's your host, Chris Shembra, broadcasting live from beautiful and finally fall New York City. Today, we're talking gratitude, empathy, human connection, and the stories that shape some of the greatest leaders in the country today. With us is Lena Trudeau, the CEO of the U Group. U Group has been around since 2010 in the IT systems development space. They are a four-time Inc. 5000 honoree doing amazing work based out of the D.C. Arlington area. They analyze the needs and pain points of organizations through creativity, art, data consulting, and develop answers that allow businesses to grow. We're talking for-profit, nonprofit, public, and private sector. They do it all, and they do it in such a unique way, really growing at a fast pace every year, and we're honored to have you on the podcast today, Lena. Thanks for having me, Chris. Now, as you know, through your research of listening to a number of episodes, we start off with a very simple question mm. on the podcast every episode. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, or that you just never thought to, whether it's someone you've never met before or someone you've known your entire life, who would that be? I'm already breaking the rules. It's, it's two people, uh, but they had the same role, which was my grandmother's. Um, my two uh, grandmothers are, were, uh, and in my mind still are, incredible humans. And uh, I learned an incredible amount from them. My father's mother, um, just unbelievable person who grew up in Northern Ontario, I'm Canadian originally, and, and so both of uh, these stories are about women who grew up uh, in Ontario, different parts of Ontario. My grandmother grew up in northern Ontario in a place that was really hard to get to in the winter. Uh, she suffered hardship when she was young. She had breast cancer at an early age, and a double mastectomy saved her life. Um, her husband died when he was relatively young and left her with three, three small children. And... Um, I mean, she had some family around her, but she was also a public health nurse. And so she was traveling around Northern Ontario, often in some really harsh weather. Um, you know, my, my dad's fond of telling me about how his mom inoculated a good part of Northern Ontario against tuberculosis back in the day. So just um, someone who really uh, expressed to me values that I hold dear, the importance of service to others, uh, a resilience that I'm just in awe of. She was also the kindest person I've ever known. And I saw that that kindness didn't reflect a lack of resolve, um, but rather just a real respect and affection for other people and a belief that you can do a lot more good in the world with kindness uh, than you can trying to push forward in ways that make people feel less than and I've tried to take a really big lesson from that. Uh, so I just a lot of the things that she was able to demonstrate um, have always really been important to me. Um, she um, she's also really wise. She's I think I've kept just about every birthday and Christmas card she managed to give me and in every single one there's a little piece of advice inside and 
I found myself reflecting as I was considering this question, reflecting on that advice a little bit, um, which was just valuable in a whole new way to me uh, recently. And then there's my mom's mom. Um, so I call my dad's mom, my grandmother, my mom's mom was my grandma. She was a small business owner in Ottawa and she owned a printing shop with her husband who was also a teacher. So she ran the majority of the business out of the basement of their home. And then when he retired, they decided to open up a shop um, and he passed away not long after that, but she continued to run the business for years. And this was back in the day when quite literally people would decide not to do business with her when she found out that she was the owner because she was a woman. I, I still remember, and I used to work some summers in her shop. Um, if you ever need someone to do photocopies or collate a booklet, I'm telling you, I'm a, I'm a pro. But anyway, someone came in and asked for the owner and she stood up on one of the counter and said, I'm the owner. And he turned around and walked out without saying another word. And um, I just, I've learned a lot from her about uh, hard work, about uh, creating a team environment in which everybody has fun while they're working, which is super important. Um, she got to know every single person she worked with very personally, and they all became friends. And, um, and resilience as well. She ended up becoming ill later in life from breast cancer and eventually died of it. And the grace that she exhibited during that illness, she never complained once that I heard, even though it was a really hard thing to go through. And um, I would say the one other thing I really take away from my grandma is her continuous learning. Uh, it, she just was always picking up something new. When she was in her 70s, was it 70s? No, it was in her 60s. In her 60s, she started learning how to play the piano. It was after my uh, grandpa had passed away and she actually became really, really good at it, quite proficient. And who would think to pick up the piano in their mid sixties, you know, but anyway, so just those two women, I, um, I, I'm not quite sure how I got so fortunate, but to have them as role models has been really amazing, very powerful. And, um, and I treasure the memories. Grandmother and grandma. Mm-hmm. What was um what was each of their names? My grandmother is Ella and my grandma is Loretta. Ella and, and Loretta. Mm -hmm. The first question that sticks out to me is, you know, one owned a printing shop mm -hmm. and the other used to give you a bunch of cards. <laughs> Do they ever buy cards from the printing shop? Yeah, actually, it's funny that you ask. Um, my grandmother did buy a number of things from my grandma. And at times, my grandma would make us personalized stationery as gifts with, um, with, you know, just funny little things on them. So did, was, was, was grandma uh, a buyer from grandmother's print shop? Before, oh, sorry, yeah. was grandmother a buyer from grandma's print shop before your parents met? No. Mm -mm. Okay. My I was going out on a limb with that one. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, my parents met in university in first year. They were lab partners. So Ontario is a pretty deep route for you. Yeah, it really is. It's interesting 
the way you describe one of them is that she would uh, write you birthday cards, which you've kept through mm-hmm. the years. Um, power of the pen. It's no secret that you have kept on the family's tradition of being devoted to paper and the written word. But one of them wrote advice and gave you advice in every single card. And the other one you described as a habitual and continuous life learner. My question to you between the two is when did you learn from them that it was it was all right to start giving advice to others at the same time that you're still learning? You know, it's funny. I, um, I, I, d- I don't know explicitly the answer to that question or specifically the answer to that question. I really don't. Um, but I love to solve problems and I'm a very empathetic person. And when I see someone who's experiencing a situation they don't know how to deal with, it's sort of natural for me to draw parallels between what they're going through and my own experience to see if I can find a way to illuminate what they're experiencing a little bit. And, you know, in some cases that just results in a little bit of shared experience. Um, But in some cases it's helpful. And then at some point along the way, um, people started asking me for advice. So I've been in, in and around technology for a while, although I'm not a practitioner myself, not an engineer or a computer scientist or a data analyst, really. Um, I'm, I'm more of a generalist, but I've been in, around, in and around using technology to solve problems for a long time. And um, a lot of women in technical roles um, have asked me to mentor them. I have been asked to speak a number of times on the subject of women in tech as an example. Um, and I had this, this funny little experience where I often um, find that when I go out to a broader group of folks asking for input, you know, the, the answers that you get at the end of the day are better. And so when people ask me for advice, I ask others for advice. It's just sort of natural. And I got asked to speak on the subject of, uh, of women in tech. And I went out to all of my women friends in tech and asked for their best advice. And, um, and I got a really, really good piece of advice in return, which was, you know, something that's sometimes not obvious to underrepresented communities, but but seems to be something that is a bit more obvious to, to men in tech is that um, it's okay to be confident. Confidence is a choice. And, and t- at times, I don't know if this resonates with your audience, but like at times, some of us feel as though we have to accomplish something really significant before we're allowed to be confident. So I need that promotion and then I can be confident. I, I need to make sure I get that you know, master's degree or PhD, and then I'll have earned the right to be confident. When actually the exact reverse of that is true. If we show up with confidence, then we're more likely to be in situations where we have the chance to demonstrate our abilities than we would otherwise be. And so anyway, just on the subject of advice, I've actually found that the more I get asked for advice, the more I have conversations with folks about how they see uh, you know, 
certain issues or how they would give that advice. And the more I learn in the process. What, what's an interesting dichotomy with your grandmothers is their balance between service and resilience. So somehow life gave them an interesting deck of cards. One grandmother lost her husband and had to raise three kids. The other grandmother lost her husband and had to run a business. That develops resilience. How does one continue to be resilient while also being in the good, gracious service of others? And how, how do those blend together? How do, how do those feed off each other? You know, I, it brings me right back to some advice that my grandmother Ella gave me. I was just rereading the other day and trying to make sure I take, which is uh, it's really important to take time for yourself as well. So um, service to others, particularly for people who are really empathetic can be hard because like, as an example, you know, a lot of the work that, that we do here at U Group is really focused on um, helping to modernize the way services are delivered out of government agencies for, pe- for people, for constituencies where folks need those services. Um, to, be, to be seeing that in progress, knowing that constituencies of, of folks who need those services aren't always able to get them in a timely way or in a way that meets their need is really hard. So that, like that service to others is really hard. I think of my grandmother who was at, at one point the head nurse at a place called the Experimental Farm in Ottawa, which is what it sounds like. It is an agricultural institution in the center of Ottawa that's focused on research um, around agricultural issues. So she was the head nurse at the Experimental Farm and she would regularly see people come into her office who were injured in some way with farm machinery. That is horrible for an empathetic person to see, of course, Um, but she'd have to bandage him up. She'd also have to leave the room afterwards, (laughs) potentially, you know, and go take a little time for herself. But, um, but her strong advice to me, seeing me sort of progress through my career and seeing me spend a lot of time focused on hopefully helping others, um, it was to make sure I took enough time away from that to focus on the relationships that are most important to me to focus on my family, focus on my friends and take time for myself to, to rest and recharge. And so that's, I I think that's the key. Yeah. I mean, to put your situation in a broader perspective for our listeners, you are a CEO of a company that you didn't start, right? You're not, you inherited Mm -hmm. a, uh, a team and, and you built upon it. And you're in charge of hundreds of people whose work impacts millions of lives. And you are a self-described uh, empathetic person. So how do you invest in yourself in order to prepare yourself to better serve others? So Ariana Huffington is my hero on the subject of sleep. <laughs> um, the number of people that I have worked with and for in my life who seem to think that there's something brave or warrior-like about running on a few hours of sleep, just, I, 
it, it, it's kind of astounding. It's certainly damaging. And so I try very hard to get good sleep every night. And I try also to make sure that I'm not sending emails to my team at late hours and, you know, super early in the morning. Everybody needs that opportunity to recharge. Um, as well, you know, my work schedule shouldn't necessarily be the work schedule of everyone else. And I need to be understanding of that. Um, so, I, you know, I try to limit how much time I spend on work stuff. Um, I'm, I sometimes fail at that, uh, but I also try very, very hard to make sure that amongst all of our team, amongst my direct reports, especially, that I encourage people to pursue really balanced lives. One of the first things that at, in coming into this role, one of the first things that we made the decision to do, my leadership team and I, um, we had just completed an acquisition uh, and brought two companies together. And we're working very, very hard to merge those companies in a way that demonstrated our commitment to equity and to work-life balance. And so early on, we made the commitment to raise everybody's benefits to the highest level across the firm, which meant in some cases taking people from uh, you know, a certain number of holidays, um, three weeks, if I'm remembering correctly, up to four weeks. That commitment is not without cost, but the commitment to letting people have that time away from the office, I think has paid off just in the productivity that we see. So it's not, you know, we, we didn't do it for reasons of productivity per se. Um, there's a lot of factors that contributed to that decision at the end of the day, but uh, encouraging people to take the time they have available to them to make sure they have time away from the office with family or with friends or just by themselves if that's what they choose to rest and recharge it's uh, you know, it's a commitment that flows all the way through the firm what's part of the work-life balance that you miss the most about living in Ontario hmm. <laughs> so I miss time at my parents' cottage. We have a family cottage. Um, my mom's side of the family, so my grandma Loretta, um, it was her favorite place in the world. It's this little bit of old farmland that's west of Ottawa, a couple of hours outside of town. You know, as, as early settlers um, on the land, my ancestors were we're fortunate, to, fortunate enough, I suppose, to have land at all, but you could, um, you, you barely see any topsoil. It was really subsistence farming and it was hard going in times when, and in a place where the winter is pretty long. Um, so eventually that turned from farmland into cottage land that we now spend time on as a family. But the beautiful part about it is right around this little lake in the middle of nowhere, there are uh, cottages that are my cousins and aunts and uncles. So it's all family when I go up there and see them. And I just don't get up there as often as I'd like. That's a, that's a regret for sure. What do you like to do with them? Hang out, catch up, sit around a campfire, maybe have a beer, maybe two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You talking about the, the longing the lore of simplicity mm -hmm. in our pre-show chat. You're talking about how, you know, you're, you're proud that the breadth 
of your company. It's a multidisciplinary approach to solving complex challenges and whittling it down into simple solutions. How can you metaphorically take the comfort of family and cottage life and campfires and, and bring that simplicity to your clients? How, how do you metaphorically and emotionally do that? Have you ever heard of something called simplicity on the other side of complexity? In worse words, yes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really know how, who to attribute this to because it's not my idea. Uh, but quite some time ago, earlier on in my consulting career, you know, the notion that um, the notion that there are two kinds of simplicity has been really powerful for me. There is the simplicity that comes from, frankly, a level of ignorance about complexity, the ability to, to see something before you really enter into it and understand it. And then there's that period of very difficult work of, of navigating through a lot of complexity, of discovering root causes for what's really going on. And, and you really have to go through that kind of journey before you can come out on the other side with a simplicity that is based on that deep understanding. And so I don't know if this really answers your question, but when you asked it, what I thought of immediately was, I feel like the way to bring the value of simplicity to our clients and to my own life and to my relationships is to make sure that we have honored the need to deeply understand what's going on. And we've gotten to the other side and taken the care that's necessary to put together as simple and elegant a solution as we possibly can on the basis of what we've learned. Hmm. I mean, you're, you're taking the, 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 the brunt of that complexity on your shoulders as experts and uh, delivering a simple solution so that they, they don't have to worry about what you had to go through to get them the, the solution. Well, you know, it's interesting that you put it that way because I mean, that's I, courage. That's, that's, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that we do it for people and I don't, I don't think we, um, we certainly don't ever do it to people, but I don't even think we do it for people. I think we do it with people. And I think that's the secret of why it works. Oh, that was good. <laughs> Thanks. It's, it has the benefit of being very true. I mean, language, you know, is so interesting in a business setting because even, even the, changing for to with right at, at our dinners we used to say we used to invite people to come into the kitchen to you know be part of the uh, you know to uh to do some tasks mm -hmm. and to serve the other people and now we invite people into the kitchen to share in the experience right the language of not doing but sharing not not um not you being the ceo of 352 people or so, but you working for 352 people, right? My, my friend Claude Silver, the chief heart officer of Vayner Media, says she works for 800 people every single day mm -hmm. to make sure that they succeed. Uh, That's and, the key. It, and, and it's interesting, you know, you're, you're so astute 
with language, not only just from your grandmother's working, you know, around language with the printing press and writing birthday cards, et cetera, but you're also uh, a lover and, and um, an understander of the impact that art can have on commerce. Um, and I see a, one of your many paintings in, in the corner of your office, but how did, how did art, oh, that's pretty. Oh, I like that. Um, I can't even get the camera looking at it right. Sorry. I'm like, (laughs) there we go. There we go. We'll put a picture of it. We'll put a picture of it for our (laughs) listeners. (laughs) That is a work by, um, by a friend. Um, Her name is Nan Morrison. She's a local artist here Mm. um, in DC. And, um, and, and that it just really captured, um, I don't know, an energy or a, a sentiment that I appreciate being next to all the time, which is why it's hanging right here. But, but a lot of the art that you're talking about that's throughout our office is actually part of the collection that we've installed from FAITH the Foundation for Art and Preservation in Embassies. And I first got to know Jennifer Duncan, the director of FAPE, through a mutual friend, uh, Scotty Greenwood, who's on FAPE's board. And, um, and Scotty's co-located in our offices. And, um, and she was noticing that although we had some art on the walls and some art that's produced by our own artists here in the organization, including Chris Lester, our chief creative officer, who's brilliant and gifted in creative ways that I will just never understand. It's, it's, it's like magic. But anyway, um, Scotty said to me, you know, you really need to meet Jen and you need to understand what FAPE does because we're doing some work with the State Department. FAPE is about art and preservation in embassies. It's about promoting American artists around the world and, um, and important American artists, by the way, whose work is of real significance in our nation's historical context. And so one thing led to another, we all fell in love with each other and um, we, we decided um, that to take Jennifer up on her offer to, to install um, the original print collection from FAPE's broader collection in our offices here. And uh, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable how people on the team react to it and how our clients react to it when they come in to meet with us, when we're able to take them around and show them this beautiful photograph of Carrie Mae Weems showing a woman in front of uh, the Lincoln Memorial. And when we're able to show them that these... Um, small but meaningful pieces of quilt that have been framed from the quilters of G's Bend, Alabama, and the important historical context of of the story around those quilts. Um, It's just, it changes the entire conversation. And we're talking about uh, business problems that our clients have, and they're able to share them with us in a really, I think, much more thoughtful and creative way because we've been able to have a different kind of conversation. I know this sounds a little crazy, but that's really what happens. Art inspires greater collaboration. Art takes, because you're, you're working with some very big, very, um, what some might say, unartistic public institutions, right? the DOD, uh, different, uh, you know, different law enforcement foundations. These aren't uh, necessarily thought of, of 
thought thought of as artistic people, but you're using art as a medium to connect. Absolutely. And to build trust and to open up more free flowing conversation. And that's brilliant. It's an adventure. Mm-hmm. We're really <laughs> to be able to do this. Yeah. Well, Lena, our uh, our time has been so beautiful here today and I know we're going to have many future conversations that our listeners will benefit from on these similar topics. Uh, But some of the questions I have in rounding us out today, one of them is if your two grandmothers could teach a class to your team today, what would you have them teach? Deep listening. Their ability to take the time as busy as they were and listen to some of the most inconsequential things that I had to share and to knit that together into, you know, the way they were able to connect the dots into what was really going on in my life and what I needed to hear from them. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's what it would be. And if you could say something to them right now in this room, what would you say? That I'm trying to practice the lessons they taught me and that I appreciated how much they patterned the behavior. It was really foundational. Well, I'm no judge, but I think they would be very proud of you to this day with taking on some of their words and putting it into action in a way that impacts millions of people. Thanks, Chris. This was um, this was a lot of fun, and you are an incredibly gifted interviewer. And I really look forward to hearing what's next from the podcast too. Thanks for doing this. To all our listeners, I I really hope you didn't learn necessarily content today. This is what makes this interview different. The content was great, but the energy was palpable you're talking about the leader of a wonderful company talking about quality time with her family in a cottage by the lake around a campfire and those moments that she invests in herself and her relationships is ultimately the key that drives success of this vast enterprise they've built And I encourage you all to look into your past, to read the old birthday cards of that cheesy uncle or that sly aunt or the grandparents that maybe passed away long before you were were even alive. What were they talking about? What did they want to pass on to you? History has a way of repeating itself looking different. The, The things that people used to believe in 
and used as uh, words of guidance are more important now than ever before because we live in a in a world that is so saturated with mindless, meaningless content that uh, when you can listen to the wisdom of the elders, you can you can learn how to get ahead. Uh, they knew what they were talking about. That's for darn sure. Please check out everything that Lena and her team are up to at the U Group. U dot group. Um, the link will be in the bio below. They're doing some amazing work with some of the largest organizations on the planet. So please call them for any need you have. Uh, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Share it with that friend who needs just a small amount of hope to let them know that they are doing the right thing in this world and to invest in themselves and they will be happy. They will find joy and meaning in their work. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify and 30 other platforms we're on and stay tuned. We've got a whole host of wonderful interviews coming your way. So I hope you all having a phenomenal day on earth. Remember folks, it's your world. Go explore and we'll see you next episode.